0: Welcome to The Mission Show with Albert Canfield and Luis Cardoso.
1: So, Dr. Darrow, it's an honor to have you with us for this podcast. I had the privilege of being at the training that you led about cross-cultural ministries with the Mission Society in Brazil back in 2010 and 2011. And I can tell you seriously, that your training saved my life, my ministry, my marriage, because the first time I went alone, second time I took my wife with me. And okay. your teaching influenced my wife and I profoundly, more than any other scholar that I read or anything else. So thank you, because was was a huge blessing to us and to many people. I, God took me to many countries to teach about cross-cultural ministries as well. And you were there in every one of them with me. So, Daryl, I know that you continue to teach and train people in the mission that God has for them. And I know that today you lead global development with this. So how does global development do this at the moment?
2: Okay. Well, um, global development is, is not a very big organization. It has one person, <laughs> and that's me. <laughs> in 2016, I entered what I would call semi-retirement, and I realized for the first time in 38 years that I had no institutional support. Uh, previously, it had been the Mission Society before that. It had been 20-some years at Asbury Seminary. So I had no institutional support to be able to to pay for my airfare and other other costs to continue doing his teaching and training, and uh, I really went into kind of a time of depression and and real discouragement. I think, you know, is my life is my life finished? And um, so I realized, no, I I think the Lord has a lot more for me. But how am I going to be able to 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 afford it? So I uh, started working on this idea of developing a nonprofit ministry. And I spent a, about a year, and it wasn't going anywhere. It was too complicated. I had to have all kinds of government papers and stuff like that. So then I learned of an organization called Helps Ministries in North Carolina in the United States. And Helps Ministries does exactly that. They help ministries. And so um, I contacted them. I told them what I wanted to do with with global development, which was primarily teaching and training in places in the world, primarily places in the world that could not afford me. Now, I don't need the money to live on. I've, you know, I've been very frugal. I I have enough for retirement, but I did need money to pay for airfare and things like that. So I started in 2017 to launch global development. And after six months, I had raised um, $900 uh, from (laughs) six people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I was very discouraged. I said, "Oh, this isn't this isn't going to go anywhere." And um, so I was up at Asbury Seminary where my my son was a student, and he was he and I were on a hike together. And um, so I'm complaining to to my son Jeffrey. I said, "You know, poor me. I, I want to do this for the Lord, but nothing's happening. I've sent letters to over a hundred people, and and no response." And of the $900, 500 of those had come from one of my former colleagues at Asbury Seminary. And my son said to me, Dad, he says, don't you know that before God is going to help you in any way, you have to give money away. You have to do that first. Wow. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow. Out of the mouths of babes comes great wisdom. Uh, and then- <laughs> I had a friend in Kenya uh, who was... Uh, uh, he he and I had worked together. Just a uh, just a wonderful young man uh, in ministry there, very committed to mission. And he wanted to go to get some training in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And he felt he really needed that for his work. So he uh, he bought the ticket and trusted the Lord to provide the money for when it came time to pay for it. Mm-hmm. I sent that young man one thousand two hundred dollars. Within three weeks, within three weeks time. I had received $10,000 wow. from a donor. <laughs> and then another three weeks, another a church in, uh, in Texas, uh, said we will contribute $10,000 a year for the next three years. And after that, I've had all the money I need. <laughs> wow. So I had to give money away first before I was able to, and, uh, well, before I really could trust the Lord to take care of my needs. So that's how it started. Um, I now have sufficient uh, funds. I also have more invitations than I can accept these days. But um, so it's global development is a small organization. And I now want to begin to form a team. Now, if you remember in uh, in Brazil, uh, we really had a team. And, and I always like to work as part of a team, not, not just a solo person. So um, there's now sufficient, uh, well, Global Development has been going for three years now. It's sufficiently uh, financed. There's enough support uh, that I now want to start adding team members and doing this training together with others. So that's, uh, that's what Global Development is, and we'll see how the Lord continues to bless it. But it's, after a very slow start, it's doing well.
0: <laughs> Great. Daryl, when you were a missionary in Papua New Guinea, Uh, How did your passion
2: for incarnational ministry impact your work? Well, um, that's a good question. (laughs) Uh, I actually, my work in Papua New Guinea uh, was as an anthropologist working with the Methodist Church there. And I would say that my concept and understanding of incarnational identification had not yet developed. I really did not have that idea in in my mind at that Mm -hmm. time. I went and got a Ph.D. in anthropology, never to be a professor, never to be a teacher, <laughs> but uh, to be a better missionary. My work in Papua New Guinea really was to help. Well, I, I went to Papua New Guinea thinking I'm going to be mostly training uh, European missionaries to be more effective relating <laughs> to Melanesian people. And it didn't take me long to realize that that most of my teaching and research and writing where it had the most impact was not on missionaries getting a new view, a new understanding, but on Melanesian people themselves. (laughs) Because they had come to believe through the history of mission that they couldn't be a Papua New Guinean and follower of Jesus at the same time. (laughs) They had to be one or the other. And so I would say that my work in Papua New Guinea really launched me in the whole area of contextualization. How can the gospel connect to people at the deepest level of their worldview? And mm-hmm. if a person from Papua New Guinea cannot remain as a Papua New Guinean and follow Jesus, then Christianity is not true. It's just what anthropologists have said. It's just mm-hmm. a cultural byproduct, just a religion. There's mm-hmm. it, It's neither true nor false. And um, so that really uh, anchored me deeply in my strong commitment to, uh, to uh, uh, contextualization hmm. and helping the gospel to become understandable and to be able to be a follower of Jesus and remain in your own culture. Uh, a phrase I've picked up in recent years is, <clears throat> one does not have to deny their birth identity in order to affirm their second birth identity hmm. as a follower of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Isn't that a nice way of thinking that? It is yeah, incredible. Yeah. We don't have to deny our birth identity. You do not have to deny your birth identity as Brazilians in order to become followers of Jesus, in order to affirm your second birth identity. But unfortunately, too much of the history of mission, particularly among Muslims and other uh, Mm -hmm. uh, religious groups, the message is you deny your birth identity and then you become like me. So we want you not to affirm your second year birth identity, but gain a new identity as a Brazilian or as a, an American, you know, the first, the identity of the missionary. And and I think my work in Papua New Guinea is what really started to get me thinking about that. Now, later when I was a professor at Asbury Seminary is when I would start to see the connection between incarnation and mission. But that wasn't a part of my early days. How, how long, in
0: how long you, you were there in, in Papua New Guinea? Uh,
2: Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands, uh, seven years. Oh, okay, okay. Seven years. When I went there, I wanted to be there for 20 years. <laughs> I, I really wanted to be there 20 years. And, um, but Asbury Seminary decided they wanted to start a graduate program of, of, of mission. Okay. Uh, to which your Bishop Jean Carlos yep. and later Luis Wesley. Stanley's joined his school yeah. of mission. Yeah. So um, to to have a graduate school uh, where you're going to offer doctoral degrees in missiology, you know, you have history of mission, theology of mission, world religions. Well, you also have to have uh, an anthropologist. Well, how many Christian anthropologists are there in the world <laughs> committed to mission <laughs> in the Wesleyan tradition? Wow. <laughs> one (laughs) (laughs) well done (laughs) so there I was in the jungles of New Guinea uh, in my 30s and Asbury came knocking on my door and said "Uh, we want you to join our faculty I said oh go away I have no interest whatsoever Uh, leave me alone Uh, when I get some white whiskers then I'll think about it (laughs) yeah so they they persisted for about two years, and eventually I realized <laughs> no this is this is uh this is not my timing, but obviously it's god's timing mm. and so my over twenty years at Asbury was just a wonderful uh, a, a wonderful time that helped shape me uh, and fortunately, God was able to use my teaching to to affect an awful lot of students all over the world i there's not a country I go to where there's not a former student. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they, to this day, continue this sending me emails, letters, telling me how my very simple teaching has impacted and changed their lives and ministry. In your view, do you see
0: some need or, or problems today or lack of uh, incarnational ministries in our reality or, or in the church today? N- not only in, uh, in the missionary field, but also in all the church.
2: I see it everywhere. And, and and it pains me deeply because we've taken the incarnational identification as just a theological doctrine, and we haven't really seen it as a model for how we are to relate to others. Mm-hmm. In the same way that God becomes Jesus the Jew and emptied himself of his power, his position, his prestige, all those things in order to identify with other human beings. That's the model for you and me. That's the model that we need to have. And I find that people do not understand that. They just don't get that. It's so much easier to leave incarnation as a high theological doctrine Mm -hmm. rather than a way of how I need to relate every day to people who are different from myself. And so this really surprises me. But uh, everywhere I go in the world, people say, we've never heard this teaching before. (laughs) And they say, why haven't we heard it before? And oftentimes they're, they're, they're kind of angry. Because they said this is obvious key to effective ministry. Why haven't we heard <laughs> this before? I said, well, <laughs> probably because you've never been taught by an anthropologist who loves Jesus. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you saw the saw the connection to incarnation. But um, I, I've I've done a, a lot of teaching and training in India now, and uh, they have the same problems as Americans do. The <laughs> The missionaries in India tend to be primarily from the south, particularly in the area of Kerala, and they go north to Delhi and mm-hmm. beyond, particularly to the more Muslim areas. And rather than identifying with the Indians in the north, they take their Kerala Christianity, their Kerala former church, their Kerala food, all those <laughs> things, and they take them with them to north, to North India. They do the
0: same. It
1: It is the same in Ghana. It is the same in Brazil, unfortunately.
2: So this this whole teaching, which really is very, very simple, very simple, is also very radical. (laughs) And it also means that we have to really change the way we think, the way we live, Mm -hmm. the way we relate to others. And Mm -hmm. most people are not willing to do that.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: There, in today's
1: multicultural world, because today more than ever before we have people from you know every nation under the sun in our doorstep. I live in a greater Manchester area here in north of England, and in one street we have seventy something nationalities here wow. in Manchester. And it, it's but on this time, how important it is for people to understand the worldview and culture that other people have when they cross culture to, to communicate mm-hmm. the gospel?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, that's an excellent question because there is a sort of common thought out there that because of globalization and urbanization, the world is becoming flat
3: mm-hmm. and we're
2: all becoming alike. In fact, you hear this phrase, the global village, where we're all going to be alike. I remember when I was getting ready to, well, maybe not getting ready to leave Papua New Guinea. Maybe I was still, still working there. But a, a man said to me, um, "All your emphasis on contextualization, all your emphasis on, on having the gospel connect deeply to these people in Papua New Guinea." He said, "That's a waste of time." He says because the world is becoming one big world, one big culture, and all these cultural differences are going to disappear anyway. <laughs> Well, he couldn't have been more wrong because in the process of urbanization and contextual uh, urbanization and globalization, globalization, which is connecting us as we're doing right now. Can you believe this? <laughs> we're having a conversation in, in, in England, in Portugal, <laughs> in, in Seattle, in Washington. And in three hours, I have a conference in Sydney, Australia. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's <awesome. laughs>
2: Unbelievable. So... So it is true, we're, we're, we're being connected uh, in ways we never were before. But at the same time, ethnic identity is becoming even more important, not mm-hmm. less important. And so therefore, th- the problem is you've got to respect the ethnic identity of others at the same time recognizing that, yes, we are all connected in ways mm-hmm. we never were before. But in connecting does not mean we erase the identity. We erase our sense of who we are.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, At the end of the day, for followers of Jesus, our first identity really must be as children of God, as followers of Jesus. That has to be an identity that comes before my American identity, uh, my Brazilian identity. And so... It's just as important today as it ever was. The difference is urbanization and globalization have simply brought us closer together. It has not re- erased our differences. Does, yeah. does that make sense to you? Yes, yeah,
0: definitely. Completely. <laughs> yeah. Why is cross-cultural mission still important today, uh, Dr. Darrow? How you can s- say and show us the, the importance or the the vitality and the, the fundamentals for it?
2: Well, uh, I think it's important uh, today because Jesus gave us um, five great commissions. <laughs> now, the only one we ever quote is Matthew 28. <laughs> you know, go into all the world and preach <laughs> the gospel and make disciples. But there are actually five different, different great commissions. And uh, I, I do some teaching, five great teachings of Jesus and the great celebration and um, the first great teaching is what i call the great invitation follow me that's 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 number one now i want you to watch the order in which i give these uh, follow me um, we see that in matthew uh, 4 19 and 20. Uh, it's also in mark and luke and, and uh, actually two, two places where jesus first thing says follow me so that's the first one the great invitation then comes the great commandment, love each other. And then comes the great compassion, Mm -hmm. care for one another. Mm -hmm. We find that in Matthew 25, uh, verses 31 to 40. uh, Also in Luke 4, 18 and 19, what I call the the Nazareth uh, manifesto, where Jesus talks about uh, caring for one another. And then the fourth one, we finally get to the Great Commission. And there are five Great Commissions, now my favorite great commission is John 20:21. 20, Do you know what that one is? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not it, it's I not I, lo- Matthew, I love this verse. <laughs> it's too much it's connected Matthew. with the mission <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's not Matthew 28. That's that's the one we always quote. But uh but um John 20:21 20, Jesus has been crucified. Uh he he's come back to life. He comes into the room where the uh we don't know if there are 11 disciples there or 10. <laughs> there probably only 10. Uh, one has already flunked the course. That's Judas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> and Thomas
2: is, off, Thomas is off someplace else because he doesn't see Jesus.
1: Yeah.
2: And Jesus says two things. He says, don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost. Don't be afraid. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. <laughs> now, how did the Father send Jesus? The Father sent Jesus incarnationally to come into the world, to empty himself of all the power, the position, prestige of being God, and to become an ordinary human being born in a Jewish (laughs) culture at a particular time. So he's saying to his disciples, in the same way the Father sent me, I am now sending you. Now, did all the disciples do that? Well, we don't know for sure, (laughs) because we don't have records of all of them. But uh, my favorite disciple turns out to be Thomas. And, uh, and the reason he's my favorite is because Thomas probably was an anthropologist. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he wanted proof. He, he wanted evidence <laughs> that Jesus was alive. And he says, until I put my, my finger. finger in the holes of yes. his hands and my hand in the side, I'm not going to believe that he really <laughs> came back to life. Because there's never been a human being who's come back to life. Yes. And so when he does see Jesus, he's, oh, my Lord and my God. So what does Thomas do? Thomas leaves Jerusalem and goes to India. <laughs> and in the south, there in India, is the start of today we would recognize as the Martama Church. Now, I've done quite a bit of teaching and training uh, in India. And one of the places I go to is uh, Chennai, which used to be called Madras. And in Chennai, there's this little mountain. It's called, uh, St. Thomas Mount. And, uh, that's where I've held these conferences. And on that very little mountain in 72 AD, Thomas, doubting Thomas was martyred for the sake of the gospel. And so John 2021 is, is just my favorite great commission. And, um, So the reason that we need to be involved, continue to be involved in cross-cultural mission is because uh, all the world is not yet followers of Jesus. Now, when I think about this, we have more followers of Jesus, more more people who call themselves followers of Jesus. Sometimes we use the word Christian, but there's, so there's more Christians Mm -hmm. on the face of the earth today than ever in human history, almost 2 billion. There's also more people who've never heard of Jesus on the face of the earth today. So one way I like to think about the about the um, <clears throat> about the world is to divide it into three different categories. One third of the world, roughly, one third of the world um, who identify themselves as followers of Jesus, uh, as 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 Christians, um, say thank you, Jesus. <laughs> There's another third of the world who ha- knows about Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, knows about Jesus, uh, but for whatever reasons, oftentimes lack of contextualization, uh, they know about Christianity, but their answer is, no, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> They're not interested. <laughs> and then there's another third that says, who's Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one third says, thank you, Jesus. That's you, you and I, right? We say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> there's another third that says, no, thank you, Jesus. And of course, much of Europe is in that category today. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you, Jesus. Much of America is. Then there's another third that says, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? <laughs> so in answer to your question, is, is cross-cultural mission still needed today? Absolutely is needed, probably more than ever before in terms of just pure pure numbers. But it also has to be done correctly in the incarnational way and recognizing that the Spirit of God is already at work long before we ever get there. And uh, that's what I think is oftentimes missing uh, in mission today. So, yes, mission is needed, but it's also time to start doing it entirely differently mm-hmm. than what we did it in most of the 19th and 20th century. Mm.
1: Amen. Yeah. Thank Dr. You. Darrow, you told us about global development and I'm, I'm a huge fan of any good initiative that will teach people to to do mission in the way that God did, that Jesus did. So how can global development help churches or missionaries or people that want to know more about mission or people that want to be prepared for a cross-cultural mission?
2: Well, as I said, global development is just,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's just
2: one person. <laughs> I'm the president, I'm the CEO. <laughs> the good the
1: thing director. is that you're not going to have problem with the coworker for now. So. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so,
2: uh yeah, you know, I I am just passionate about about training more and more people to really just think differently, just to think about mm-hmm. God's mission in the world. And that's that's another phrase that has become very important to me. It's not our mission. It's not my mission. It's not your mission. It is God's mission.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. And God invites ordinary people like you and like, like me, we're ordinary people to join God in God's mission. But oftentimes we, the way we're joining God in God's mission is, is not incarnationally. It, it's ethnocentric. We confuse our culture with, with our faith. And so because I'm so limited, because it's just, just one person at the moment, um, I haven't been able yet to form a team, but I guess I would say that the more people that I can help understand this teaching, um, you know, over 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 time, I'm not going to influence the whole world, but I have probably influenced ten thousand missionaries so far. Amen. <laughs> so, you know, that's not.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Good enough. You influenced me and my wife for sure, but. A question that sometimes I like to ask people is, "What would be your advice for someone who was boarding the plane tomorrow to be a missionary in another culture?"
2: Well, I think we need a lot of training, <laughs> <laughs> and too often we get on an airplane before we've actually been trained.
1: <laughs> Definitely,
2: and so uh, I think we need—I think we need training on um, on what is our message. Hmm. I think we need to be very clear on what is the gospel. Um, I think we need a lot of training on how to go about thinking about how to connect with people different from, uh, from ourselves. So I I think a lot of training, which I would include uh, cross cultural understanding uh, theology of mission, uh, strong biblical understanding, these things. Um, But I think the most important thing before you get on that airplane is having the right attitude. And you go in the attitude of not I'm going to save these people, not I'm going to help these people. I'm going to learn from these people. I'm going to see what God is already doing among these people. Mm -hmm. And if we go with that attitude, then if we go with curiosity, wanting to understand their language, understand their culture, and we spend the next several years really getting to know them and then helping them connect with the Bible, and helping them discover what is God saying to you through that Bible, uh, then that's when we can really start to have, um, I think, more more effective ministry. But oftentimes we we go with an agenda already laid out. We want them to become Methodist. Yeah. I don't care about becoming Methodist. <laughs> uh, but yes, see, sometimes, right. well, our church sent us to make Methodist. No, no. Um, there are a lot of different ways to follow Jesus, and meth- I mean, I'm grateful to the, for the Methodist tradition for sure. It has absolutely shaped who I am, and John Wesley's concept of prevenient grace, which is uh, uh, very, very powerful. He, of course, Wesley applied that to individuals, but I apply that to whole cultures. Wow. That God is, God's prevenient Not grace really is doing... already at work and leading people from prevenient grace to saving grace to sanctifying grace. So to, before you get on that airplane, um, prepare your heart, prepare your mind, and have some cross-cultural experience with other people before you get on that airplane.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I've had a lot of people say, "Well, I'll become a missionary when I get overseas." No, <laughs> if, if if you're not making disciples at home, then you're not going to make disciples someplace else. True. So a phrase we used to use at the Mission Society, we would say why should we send you to another culture to not do there what you're not doing here? Wow. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I I will quote later. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I'll use that.
3: (laughs) Really good one. That's what we
2: do. We send people to other cultures to not do there what they're not doing (laughs) at home. um, So we have to practice those, those things. Um, yeah, I, I guess I think sometimes we feel we have to all have a lot of head knowledge, a lot of, you know, a lot of education. Um, I have a phrase I use because I travel around the world and people talk about coming and studying with me sometimes. And I say, get the highest degree possible and then get over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, another phrase I will use. <laughs> Because it gets in your way, you know. <laughs> I, I don't like to be called Dr. Whiteman. I, you know, I, I prefer Uncle Daryl.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, uh, but if we get too much education, it can start to remove us from the very people we want to connect with.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Does that give you some ideas of what to do before you get on that airplane?
1: Definitely. Yeah, a lot definitely. of. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there is a piece of teaching that I got from one of your classes that, that really changed me. And changed the way that I saw things and, and changed the my worldview and Danny's worldview. And that is, is the concept that Jesus plus what equals salvation. And mm. I remember where I was in Teresopolis when you started sharing that. And the whole idea of, of form and meaning. There is no sacred form, but sacred meaning. And the oh, whole idea. Oh, you remember well. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the whole idea of Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And I confess that. Until that moment, I used to think that was the model that I was doing that would change England, (laughs) how (laughs) arrogant I was, or the model that I, you know, I would do Brazilian Christians in English. That's what I would do (laughs) in England. And they would learn how to worship a two-hour service, how to do this or that. And that shocked me at first, I need to confess. But that changed us and that helped us to to come and learn and develop and start with what they know. So my question to you really is, there's so much cultural baggage that we communicate along with the gospel. And, you know, in in your view today, are Christian churches and missionaries learning this lesson and applying this to their missions today? Or is still people like I was? I hope that I change. So you see people like I was trying to make, you know, converts to their own understanding of Christianity.
2: Uh, I I am very sad to tell you that most people have never thought this through, have never figured this out, because they don't distinguish following Jesus from the cultural ways, from the denominational ways in which they've been taught to do it. So mm-hmm. when you were thinking like that, I mean, you had no other option because no one ever had put in your mind. There's a difference between following Jesus and all this other stuff we add to it Mm -hmm. because we bring them together, you see, but we, and the the form and meaning thing that helps us start to separate those things. Now I've got some teaching I've been doing in the last 10 years, which I don't think you saw. So I'm going to, if you give me just a second here, (laughs) a number of years ago when I was, I think I was doing this teaching in, uh, in, in India. And um, one of my former students, uh, who is a Methodist pastor uh, in, in Florida, I got him to uh, invite him to join the Mission Society, and we, uh, we did some traveling together. His, his special area now is, is discipleship, mm-hmm. and, um, and he helped me start to understand things. So what do you think this is? It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, very it's very
1: light,
2: very mm-hmm. light. Mm-hmm. It's a baton. You pass it from one person mm-hmm. to another okay. in a relay race, right? Mm-hmm. For many years, America ha- had the fastest runners uh, in the world, but uh, we never won a relay race.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: of course, now we've been struck by a bolt of lightning, so we, we don't have yeah. the fastest <laughs> runners anymore. <laughs> but they never won the relay race mm. because they either dropped the baton or they passed it off uh, outside or before the exchange. <laughs> So um, I call this baton the naked gospel, the naked gospel. And I picked up that phrase from a book written by a man by the name of Vincent Donovan mm-hmm. uh, called Christianity Rediscovered. And it comes from his work among the Maasai uh, who are pa- uh, pastoralists. They, they move uh, through the land with their cattle uh, in Kenya, uh, Kenya and uh, Tanzania. And he was trying to make these Maasai people into American <laughs> Christians within his denomination. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't working. And he finally realized something's wrong here. And I really, <laughs> he came up, I said, I've got to present the naked gospel and let the Maasai clothe it with their culture. Great. So they can become Maasai followers of Jesus, herding cattle, and not American Christians. <laughs> So that's the idea of naked gospel. So here's the naked gospel. Where did we get this gospel from? Where did it come from? It came all wrapped in the Jewish culture. (laughs) And and the earliest debate in in the New Testament was, can you follow Jesus, if you're a Gentile, without becoming culturally a Jew? And Judaizers, oh, no, absolutely not. No, you've got to you've got to follow all the Jewish cultural patterns if you're going to follow Jesus, including circumcision. Now, well, it's one thing for an eight-day-old baby to be circumcised. It's quite a different thing for a 28-year-old man. <laughs> <definitely>.
3: <laughs>
2: and so the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 said, no, you can follow Jesus without having to become culturally a Jew. So the good news about that is, that yes, we're still Followers of Jesus. We have been influenced by, by the Jewish tradition. But here is the true negative gospel. Well, how has that gospel gone around the world? Well, <laughs> <laughs> the American. We Too often wrapped in uh, the American flag. That's right. And we've said now, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you really need to become an American Methodist follower. Of
3: jesus
2: (laughs) no no that's not that's not correct you need to be a follower of jesus in your own culture so what i was trying to do is help you people in brazil to realize that you don't have to become an american to follow jesus hey hey. (laughs) you can become a brazilian So now, but until you start to understand this difference between the gospel as the naked gospel and the cultural wrapping in which it comes, when you go to India, what will you take?
0: <laughs> India flag. You'll take this. That's yes, right. Yes. But, well,
2: you need to get rid <laughs> of that. You need to
1: learn to remove it.
2: Yeah. And present a naked gospel. The gospel, don't need to add all those other things, and then let the Indians do what? There we go. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. <laughs> Now, this little teaching is so simple, but people never forget it,
3: Hmm.
2: never forget it, because it really represents and and, and captures the kinds of things that I've been been teaching for over 40 years. What is the gospel? What's our cultural tradition? Now, here's another strange thing. Is the gospel only for Christians? (laughs) Whoa, (laughs) now I'm getting dangerous. (laughs) Is the gospel possible for Muslims?
3: Can Muslims
2: become followers of Jesus? Or do they have to become culturally Christians? Mm -hmm. You see, we haven't really haven't thought that through very, very carefully yet. Now, I'm not advocating syncretism, a little bit of Muhammad, a little bit of Jesus, mix it all together. (laughs) No, no, no. We have to get back to this thing called the negative gospel. So, Luis, the fact that this really... Now, I didn't have this illustration then, I don't think. No, but, no. Uh, but the fact that you really picked that up, uh, and, and that will change our lives. Now, what's interesting, you see, I didn't throw this away, did I? No. no, you no. just put it inside. I put it inside. But not Am I American? Yes. I'll always be an American. I, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> but I can't help it. I'm gonna be an American. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you're
0: <laughs> Brazilian. <laughs> yeah.
2: Comes in. <laughs> you're gonna be a Brazilian.
1: That's awesome. So yeah.
2: that's okay. You know, just yeah. but don't but that's not your main identity. No. Your main identity is a follower of Jesus. And if Christianity is true which you and I believe it is, then people from every culture at every period of human history can become followers of Jesus. God has made a way Amen. for everyone. Amen. And that is what is good news. It is not good news when mission goes as an arm of, mature, of, of imperialism or colonialism, mm-hmm. and especially where, Christian, where Christianity goes uh, in force, which is most of Latin America, that's the way Christianity uh, initially came. The sword and the cross came together. And that's not the way of Jesus. Never, never was, never will be. I don't know if I answered your question, but. No, you did.
0: <laughs> so, Daryl, what about the future? We know that you have a lot of years of ministry and uh, you, you started global development. And uh, what's your plan for the future? Could you tell us a, a little bit about your plans and dreams?
2: Well, um, right now I'm on hold. <laughs> <laughs> All my travel, everything has been canceled. It's just pandemic crisis. It, it's not safe to go anywhere in the middle of this pandemic, and that's okay. The immediate future, uh, three years ago, the same time I started global development, uh, Baker Publishing uh, approached mm-hmm. me and they said. Um, You're an old man. (laughs) You're not going to live forever. And your teaching and training has influenced people all over the world. But right now, it's just in your head. (laughs) And so we want to publish your uh, material.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And uh, so that was 2017. So I had a a little bit less than than a year. And so I put together much of the things that I had been teaching, the things, Luis, that that, that you heard, and uh, sent it to them after Actually, I finished the first draft by December of 2017, and I sent it to them, and I said, um, uh, here it is, but it's not ready. It's not, <laughs> it's not ready for publication. It's not ready for prime time. <laughs> <laughs> they held it for about three weeks, and they wrote back and said, <clears throat> we agree. <laughs> <laughs> so then that, was, that got us into 2018, and 2018, I went to Cuba. I went to uh, China and then we moved from atlanta out here to the west coast and i completely lost my momentum uh i started in and, and I, I got nowhere and then as i started to lose my momentum i also began to lose my confidence and i'm thinking you know i don't think i have anything to say here i don't think like <laughs> now i've written five or six other books <laughs> And hundreds of articles. <laughs> but I really was just starting to to feel, oh, I, I don't think I can do this. And um, uh, this year I'm writing on Culture Shock, or this week I'm writing on Culture Shock.
0: Well, cool.
2: very good. And uh, with everything else shutting down, uh, it has enabled me to really focus, to concentrate, <laughs> not get sidetracked so much. And so the immediate future is this book is scheduled to be published uh, next year, 2021. And it's the amazing. title is called, Great. Uh, good Crossing Deus. Cultures with the Gospel Anthropological Wisdom for Missionaries. Now, I don't know if that'll be the title at the end of the day, but that's the title that they want to give it at the moment Crossing Cultures with the with the gospel, just this, right? <laughs> the naked gospel. <laughs> not this. Yeah, a, good, a good cover right there. <laughs> so anthropological wisdom. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. So that, that's the immediate thing. I'm very committed to going and working with people who either do not have the financial resources for me to, to pay for me to come, uh, and by pay, I, I don't mean give me money. I mean no, pay they, my they, they cost stuff. Or do not have the the resources in terms of people who who teach this kind of thing. So I was approached in 20 in 2017 uh, August uh, by a man from China. It was just a coincidence that we met, and he said 85% of all the Chinese who are going as missionaries, come back within the first 18 months, wow. burned out, frustrated, angry, feeling abandoned by God, feeling abandoned by their church. And he says they cannot handle the cross-cultural differences. Now, in Brazil, you have a lot, well, it, like the United States, you have a lot of mix of cultures, right? Well, the Han Chinese, yes. <laughs> like Koreans. It's much won. more pure. <laughs> yeah, That's right. So he said, can you help us by helping us understand the difference between han chinese culture and communicating the gospel so so i I agreed to go once and um it was what i would call uh the best week of my life literally i there were 55 chinese people they came from all around china they came from thailand from hong kong even from the united states and it was i just felt so empowered that week i mean god would wake me up in the middle of the night to give me a teaching for the next day Oh, and at my... the end of that week it was clear that what I had to teach connected. <laughs> so I have made a commitment to them to give them my number one priority of of my time. So I so I'm now uh, training Chinese missionaries and but I said I'll only do it under one condition and that is if I have 10 to 12 people, Chinese people who I can train to do what I'm doing. That's I, until we start to multiply ourselves, it's just me, right? Yeah. so that's not good so the same thing happened in india so what i'm doing now is is training people to become trainers mm-hmm. but um I, I don't see i don't see this is going to become a, a a big worldwide international movement no i think it's <laughs> very very simple just i think that's the way god works anyway <laughs> 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 to ordinary yes. people like us
0: mm-hmm. amazing yeah
2: so that that's probably my vision is is to get this book finished I, I've always made a joke. I only go where I'm invited. <laughs> <laughs> so I get people say, "Oh, when next time you're in my country coming to visit?" I said, "No, you actually have to physically invite me. <laughs> <laughs> put a time, put a date, tell me what you want me to do, and then I'll come." So with global development now, I'm I'm free to do that. Mm-hmm. Darrell, if someone
1: wants to know more about you and the work of the global development, how or where they can find out more
2: well, uh, the organization uh, under which uh, Global Development uh, runs is called Helps Ministries, and um, they do everything for me. Create a website, which they maintain. They handle all the accounting, so people, they want to support me. They don't send the money to me. They send it to Helps Ministries, and it goes for Global Development. They handle all the um, legal and accounting issues. So I do have a website called uh, Global Development, and that's it's just that simple name. Now, the reason I wanted to stay with the name global development. There's nothing about ministry in there or anything like that because I'm also interested in the whole area of community development. I'm really uh, influenced by the concept of the kingdom of God, that all of creation is groaning to be renewed. And so I don't make a cl- distinction between sacred and secular. It is one world. And so I want to see development occur uh, all over the world. And I think the way we develop the best is as followers of Jesus. But you don't always have to start there. I like the name Global Development. I've got criticism because it doesn't have any ministry thing in it, but that's okay. <laughs> and uh, so there's a website. It's Global Development, I-N-K- INC global development inc globaldevelopment.org uh, and that that will take you there's a, a statement there about about the purpose about what what we're doing to, uh, on that website i have all my uh, letters uh, update letters so you have an idea of actually what i've been doing people's response to it uh, there's some podcast in there i did a um, a podcast of uh, what it's like to retire <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right that, that's a good one yeah.
2: <laughs> so oh, okay. yeah there's a number of different things there so so in in some ways it's very much in its infancy i like keeping it small
1: that's so good any final thoughts there? any anything you'd like to to leave or to say to us or anyone that is hearing this podcast? well uh
2: yeah one one more thing i think is um uh, in fact, the, the, one of your questions was um, sometimes there's a question that I that I didn't ask, but but uh, what, what's a question you would like for me to ask? But um, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think for me, um, evangelism and mission comes under a larger umbrella, the umbrella of the kingdom of God, and I think we have lost sight of. What is the kingdom of God? And the kingdom of God is everywhere the king reigns. Sometimes it's inside the church. Sometimes it's outside the church. There, there, there's a wonderful quote by, uh, by uh, Augustine, the fact that God has some people who are in the church and God has a lot of people who are not in the church. In other words, the kingdom of God is bigger than just our church. That's, that's, that's the whole point I'm, I'm trying to get across here. And um, wow. so to me, uh, the kingdom of God is bigger than a denomination. Kingdom of God encompasses all of creation. So I'm very much committed to uh, to the renewal of the earth. I'm very strong on environmental issues. Um, I, I see all of this as a part of God's kingdom, uh, all part of God's creation, groaning to be renewed. And, and I, I like that. Umbrella larger than just a more narrow focus on mission and evangelism. So it, I, I'm as committed to mission and evangelism as I've ever been, but in a, mm-hmm. a larger context that all the world is needs to come under the reign of God, and God invites ordinary people like you and me to become a part of become a part of God's mission.
1: Thank you very very much, Darrell. It wow, it was great to to talk to you. Great to have you uh, sharing with us. Life and ministry and this wider context that sometimes people just don't realize. And I, I loved, I, I was still so many phrases. I need to be honest. But, you know, I love that. The kingdom of God is everywhere where the king reigns. And sometimes people lose sight of that. And God is bigger than the church. God is bigger than anything that, that we may ever get involved to. And that is awesome.
2: Okay, I just now remembered it. Okay, God has some people the church doesn't have. And the church has some people God doesn't have. It's true.
1: (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yes, I love it. I love it. That is so true.
0: I met met these people sometimes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. we have a lot of them in our we have a lot of them in our
1: churches.
2: (laughs) Yeah, God has some people the church doesn't have, and the church has some people God doesn't have.
0: (laughs)
1: Oh, that is fantastic.
0: Oh, that is fantastic. Wow. Well, thank it... you very, very much. This is the Mission Show. Thank you very much for being with us today. If your heart burns for mission and church planting, or if you have any suggestion, doubts, or question, contact us at our website, www.cntmission.org.